Psalm 23, we'll be <clears throat> looking specifically at verse 3 this morning, and there's a lot more in verse 3 than maybe is present at first sight, primarily because the word translated soul is a much broader uh, concept, uh, which will allow us to uh, expand a bit uh, on what this verse is saying. So we'll focus on verse 3 in our sermon, but I would like to read the whole psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. O Lord, just as our shepherd is able to provide whatever we need, whatever situation we are facing, so Lord, your word is sufficient for us this morning to meet whatever need we may have this morning. And we are dependent upon your Holy Spirit to speak through your word. We give you all the praise through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Many years ago, I had my two lower wisdom teeth pulled. Things didn't go too bad. It could have been a lot worse, but it took a long time to get back to what you might call normal. At first, I stayed in bed a lot. I ate liquid foods. My stomach did flip-flops. I experienced constant low-grade pain in that area. And it took more than two months for full healing to take place. And I knew I was back to normal when I could rip into a hamburger or chew steak without feeling any pain. And what a great feeling that was to be fully restored. Some people take old cars and restore them to their original condition. They try to use the original parts as much as possible. They try to make the car just like it was when it was first manufactured. Try to make it look as new as it was when it was first made. Some people take old houses and fix them up. These are called restoration projects. Do you realize that God himself is in the business of restoration? Do you know that God has some restoration projects that he is working on? In fact, if you have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, if 
Christ is your shepherd, you are one of his restoration projects. God is in the process of restoring you back to the original condition he had planned for you. In fact, a better condition than Adam himself experienced in the Garden of Eden. He is in the process of bringing you out of your sinful, fallen condition to make you brand new. It's a full restoration project. And it affects every area of your life. When we we read the word soul... In verse 3, we tend to think of one aspect of our lives, the spiritual aspect. And that's a part of it. But the Hebrew word here, it's the Hebrew word nephesh, includes the spiritual part of our lives, but it is a much broader term. It includes every area of our life. We could translate this, He restores my life, my whole life. Because God's restoration of His people is a full restoration that includes every part of our lives, we must live our lives today as those who will one day be fully restored. In other words, our ultimate hope is not in a fullness of life here in this world, But our ultimate hope is in a fullness of life that God has planned for us in the new heavens and the new earth where He will finish His restoration project. Like most restoration projects, God's restoration of us has several different aspects to it. If you're restoring an old house, you don't begin by redoing the floor of the main entrance, right? You don't start there. There's good reason you don't start there because as you fix up the rest of the house, that floor of the main entrance is going to get a lot of use. There are a lot of other places you start in restoration. Before you paint a wall, you must tear off the old wallpaper and prepare the surface for painting And most of the time, you must tear down before you can build up. If a house is old enough, you may have to gut it, right? Tear everything out so you can make it brand new. It's the same with God's restoration of our lives. In fact, the verb restore in this verse has both a negative aspect to it and a positive aspect to it. The negative meaning of the word restore in this verse is to turn away from something, to turn away from evil, to turn away from idolatry, to get rid of something. When God restores us, there is an aspect of demolition. There's an aspect of tearing down. There's an aspect of getting rid of the old so that God can make us brand new. There's a radical breaking away from an old way of life and a turning toward a new way of life. A turning from the old way of life and a turning toward God. It's not always easy. It can be painful. 
but it's absolutely necessary. It's part of our conversion. And it takes place through the renewal of the Holy Spirit, a radical reorientation of our lives. The old patterns, the old ways of thinking, the old ways of living are gone because we are new creatures in Christ. This radical demolition affects every area of our lives. Nothing remains the same as it was before. It's the negative side to our conversion. But there's also a positive side to our conversion. And that's really what I want to highlight in the rest of this sermon. And there are several aspects to it. The one we normally think of is that God restores us spiritually. He restores my soul This is where restoration starts. This aspect deals with our basic problem that we are sinners before a holy God. We are not by nature friendly toward God. We have a basic hostility toward God. Because we are, apart from Christ, wicked. And we love our sin. By nature, we are cold toward God. Our heart is a heart of stone. Our mind is full of pride. Our wills want to please ourselves rather than pleasing God. Our whole being is at enmity with God. And we are dead, completely dead, toward the things of God. And God is the one who must change us. He must renew us. Sin's dominion must be broken in our lives. As Paul reminds us in Ephesians 2, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Dead toward God. But God made you alive. That's spiritual renewal. That's what we call regeneration. A spiritual renewal that brings radical internal changes and begins a process in your life that will continue to the very end of your life. When God gives us a new heart, we are new creatures. But that old sinful nature and desires, they're still very active, aren't they? Because you have experienced this spiritual battle with our old nature as we still struggle with sin, even Though we are new creatures in Christ, that remnant of that old nature is still there. And we still struggle with sin. And sometimes sin gets the best of us. Sometimes there are areas of our lives that need attention because we've neglected them spiritually. It's like a kitchen that hasn't had anything done to it for 20 or 30 years. It needs work. It needs help. There may be areas of our lives that we have not tended to for a long time. Areas that need work. Areas that need help. Sanctification is a work of God's grace, but it's a process that continues because of the continuing presence of sin Perhaps you need to ask God to show you areas of your life that need work. Areas that need restoration. Maybe your attitude has become self-centered. And you need to be more self-giving. 
Or maybe anger has gotten the best of you and you, you harbor ill feelings toward someone not willing to forgive. Perhaps your thoughts have not been pure and you're drifting spiritually. It's, it's easy to lose our spiritual focus, is it not? Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. God can restore your soul. A radical, positive step of renewing that begins inside of you and works itself out in the rest of your life. It is a spiritual transformation. That's where God's restoration begins. But it doesn't stop there. God can also restore us morally. And we see this in the phrase in verse 3, He leads me in paths of righteousness. Paths of righteousness. See, God not only changes our inner lives from the heart out, but He changes the way we live. He changes the way we behave. Paths of righteousness are not just any old paths out there. They are paths that God has laid out for us to walk. If God is our shepherd, we shouldn't be defiantly walking in the way we want to go. We shouldn't be living in the way we think is best for us. We shouldn't be sort of stepping out on our own, if you will. We should be looking for those paths of righteousness in which God would have us walk. He has paths of righteousness for us. In the living of our everyday lives, in the situations we face at work, in the decisions we make as a family, in the multitude of choices we make every day, there are paths of righteousness that God would want us to walk in. In most situations we face, there is the right thing we must do. You know, do the right thing. It's not just a slogan. It's not just an option. It's the way God leads His people. In verse 2, it was last week I guess it was, we saw that the shepherd feeds us. And as he feeds us, he now leads us in paths of righteousness, feeding and leading. There may be a relationship between these two ideas. The more we immerse ourselves in his word, the more we understand from God's word what is the right thing to do in various situations, we will be able to walk in those paths of righteousness. Our goal as a follower of a holy and righteous shepherd is to look at the world the way he looks at the world, the way God looks at the world, to look at the world according to the principles that God has laid down in his word. His word should so permeate our lives and the way we think about the world and about our lives that we begin to live our lives and evaluate things from his perspective. 
Not in a self-righteous way. Because we know we're sinners. But in a way that demonstrates that we understand what grace is all about. Our goal should be to develop in our own lives, in the lives of our children, in the lives of every church member, a biblical world and life view. That we look at the world from the perspective of the truth of His Word. So much of our culture is a muddled mess, isn't it? Driven by emotion, driven by political correctness, driven by what others might think about me. But God is clear that there are certain things that are right and there are certain things that are wrong. And we must not live our lives in defiance of his gracious commandments. Because like sheep, we easily get ourselves into trouble. It would be like restoring a house on the inside, but then leaving the outside in shambles. In other words, if we just emphasize that God restores us spiritually, but it doesn't impact any other part of our lives, what we think and what we feel and what we do, it's like restoring a house on the inside and leaving the outside in shambles. What good is a brand new kitchen if the roof has holes in it? What good are new floors if the, if the house is infested with termites? How can there be spiritual transformation but no moral effect? God's restoration is both inner and outer. A spiritual renewal which affects the way we think, the way we live. If renewal has taken place in your life, your life will be different from those around you who make no such profession of Christ because God has done this great work in your life this great work of renewal God restores us spiritually he restores us morally gives us paths of righteousness in which to walk And there's one other aspect of renewal that is also important. Life itself is renewed, and this includes our physical lives. But we have to keep this in proper perspective, don't we? Physical restoration, we we see the meaning of physical restoration in 1 Kings chapter 13, verse 6, where the king's hand is withered because of the word of the prophet, and the king pleads with the prophet to restore his hand, to physically bring his hand back to normal. And because the word soul translated soul, the word translated soul, can mean life itself. 
It includes the restoration of all of our lives, including our physical lives. And this is important. Anyone who is not feeling well understands how this can impact everything you do. Physical health is extremely important. No one wants to be sick. And we pray as a church regularly for the many in our congregation that have physical trials and troubles. So I'm not downplaying in any way the importance of health. And we want that for everyone. We don't want anyone to be sick. And yet, we have to say that physical health is not the most important thing in this life. You may have perfect physical health, and you die in an accident. And if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, your physical health means very little in terms of your relationship with God. Your physical health will not get you into Christ's kingdom. If you're not spiritually renewed by God, you will spend eternity apart from Him. Spiritual renewal is more important As important as physical health is, spiritual renewal is more important than physical health. And yet we have an uphill battle to face here because our society has made a God of physical health. Suffering is seen in our culture as totally negative, without meaning and purpose, the worst thing that can happen. And such a view is tremendously short-sighted. As much as we mourn with those who are suffering. This view makes human beings to be completely in charge of their own destinies. It fails to see that good can come out of suffering. And it offers no hope for people because all there is in life is what we have here and now. Psalm 23 reminds us that in all of life, even during suffering, there is meaning, there can be hope, there is a purpose. And you see it in this little phrase at the end of verse 3, for His name's sake. That means everything. There's a meaning to the suffering and and the trials that we experience in life. We may not always know the meaning behind the suffering, but God does everything for His name's sake. He has a purpose. And even if we do not know what that purpose is, we can trust Him. Sometimes it may not look like our shepherd knows what he's doing, but we can trust Him. God can use suffering in ways which we cannot fathom to accomplish His purposes. We are so limited as human beings in our perspective on life. And and God can use even suffering 
to accomplish his purposes, to change us, and to bring others to himself. For his name's sake, even during suffering, we have hope. And even though right now in every one of us the principle of death is at work in our lives, do you realize that? No matter, you may be healthy, but that principle of death is at work in our lives and it will eventually catch up to all of us, will it not? But the hope that we have, if Christ is our shepherd, that we will be fully and completely restored in every facet of our lives, spiritually, morally, physically, total restoration. God's restoration program is not completed until the next life. It will, be not, it will not be finished until we reach glory. Think about it for a minute. In glory, we will be completely renewed spiritually. Perfect, complete. No need to confess our sins anymore. That, that hymn, my hope is built on nothing less, has that phrase Dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. Clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Perfect. In glory, we will be morally righteous. This is the one I like to think about. We will think like God thinks. Not perfectly, like he thinks. He's infinite. We're finite. But our every decision, our every act, our every thought, our every motive will be righteous and pure because of his restoration. And so we sang this morning, there is a fountain filled with blood and it has that phrase, all the ransomed church of God be saved to sin no more. In glory... We will be physically whole. Physically whole. No more aches and pains. No more sickness or death. No more suffering. We will walk and not grow weary. We will run and not faint. A glorified body cannot decay. And I love the phrase of that hymn, Praise to the Lord the Almighty. It says, Praise Him for He is thy health and salvation he is thy health and salvation there's a tendency today in some circles to want to change some of the wording of the old hymns Sometimes for politically correct reasons, sometimes people don't want to offend others, sometimes people just have bad theology and they want to change some of the hymns. William Cooper, he's a study in himself, an interesting study. William Cooper, it's C-O-W-P-E-R, looks like Cowper, but it's William Cooper. He, had, he wrote a song 
Oh, for a closer walk with God. Of course, we understand that that word walk in that psalm is referring to a relationship with God because early on in Genesis, it talks about Noah and Enoch walked with God. They had a relationship with God. But some have come along and thought that the word walk might be offensive to those who maybe can't walk. And so they've actually... It's actually been changed in a a couple of places. Oh, for a closer bond with God. Well, there's a young man who could not walk. Told his father that he wanted to sing the word walk. He wanted to sing, oh, for a closer walk with God. Because it spoke of his most cherished hope that in the resurrection he will be made whole and he will walk. He restores my whole life. This great shepherd a full restoration Lou and I have lived a significant amount of our time in urban areas during certain periods of our life. In seminary, when I was in seminary, we lived, we lived in an urban area, and then when we were in Rochester, New York for 10 years, we lived in an urban area, and we have seen some really run-down houses. And it's magnificent, isn't it, when someone comes along in the neighborhood and restores the house, or a house, It makes such a difference in the neighborhood. But that's nothing compared to what God is doing in your life and what God is doing in the lives of His people. You are one of God's restoration projects. Let me ask you, are you making a difference in your neighborhood? Does your life reflect that newness of life that has already begun in you? One day you will stand before your Savior and your shepherd better than brand new. In a few minutes we're going to sing, Oh, for a Thousand Tongues to Sing. I don't know why I'm referring to so many hymns. I don't normally do that in sermons, but Psalm 23 sort of lends itself to that. But Oh, for a Thousand Tongues to Sing has this last phrase. Hear him, ye deaf, his praise, ye dumb, your loosened tongues employ. Ye blind, behold, your Savior come, and leap, ye lame, for joy. We have a glorious future awaiting us. And praise God, he is not finished with us yet. Let's pray. Our Father, we offer our lives to you this morning. Whatever situation we find ourselves in, whatever condition we may find ourselves in, Lord, we offer to you our lives this morning that you would use us for your glory, for your name's sake. 
and that we would live in full confidence of this great future that you have for us. And we continue to pray, O oh Lord, for those who are suffering. And we pray that you would fill them, fill them with your spirit. We thank you that Christ himself knows the suffering that his sheep experience. We draw near to him, rejoicing in what you have in store for us. Thank you for Christ, our shepherd. In his name we pray, amen.